1: Hey, as spring unfolds, the warmer breezes, guess what? It is time to embrace the comfort of your own backyard. And I have found a game changer for your home oasis. It's the Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. Now, this is the ultimate two for one deal. You get a luxurious hot tub that meets an elite exercise pool that you'll love. This is not just relaxation, it is a first class experience in the privacy of your own space. Just go to MasterSpas.com, enter the promo code Hannity in the upper right-hand corner for up to $1,000 off your Master Spa. Exercise, relax, recover with the only hot tub and swim spa brand that I trust. That's MasterSpas.com. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. Mother's Day, just days away, show all the moms in your life how much you love and appreciate everything they do for you. Just go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, you can order 18 lovely mom roses for only twenty nine ninety nine. dollars 99 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon. Put in my last name, Hannity. All right, happy Monday, and we're glad you're with us. The first day that I have felt normal and that relaxed and my old self. What did I say to you last week when I said I'm taking off Friday? I I need to just feel like myself again, and I feel like myself again, and uh, it's so great to be back and in full health and not hacking my lungs out every five seconds, which stuck with me from the trip to Israel, and I'm feeling so much better. Anyway, glad you are with us. Condoleezza Rice checks in today. She's so smart. She's got a brand new book that is outstanding, Democracy, The Road to Freedom, I believe it is, The Long Road to Freedom. And I've been reading it. It's it's so relevant to what we're dealing with, with Iran and North Korea and the Middle East and and everything else that's going on in the world. And and by and she, unlike a lot of Republicans, she's friends with the president and she's advised the president. She met with the president, I think, last week in Washington. So she is somebody that has been there, understands a lot of these problems. It's democracy, stories from the long road to freedom. something I pointed out often on this show. Last century alone, 100 million human souls, fellow human beings slaughtered in the name of some ism, communism, Stalin, Russia, um, the former Soviet Union. uh, That would include Nazism, fascism. You know, so many isms out there that kill men, women, and children in the advancement of an ideology, a sick, twisted, evil, disgusting ideology, and one that we better understand today, especially in the world of ISIS and North Korea and Kim Jong-un and radical Islam and, and and, and of course, the radical regime in Tehran that mullahs that want to marry up with weapons of mass destruction and threaten to annihilate Israel, annihilate the United States, it is it is a very clear present danger. I, I can't understand those people that don't think that this could ever happen again because it can. And if to deny that simple, fundamental, basic truth is just denying human history and human reality and the whole human experience. And we better prepare for these battles because if we don't, we'll be the victim. And I think there's a, a, an opportunity that is emerging around the world that is unprecedented especially as it relates to the Middle East, and and the one thing that Obama did as a sort of coincidental or in, in, in spite of him, maybe because of him, has created a moment in history where a lot of our Middle Eastern problems can be resolved because now the Saudis and the Israelis are emerging and creating a new alliance as the Egyptians and the Israelis have, as the Jordanians and the Israelis have. And as the Emirates and the Israelis have, and the fact that the Sunni Muslim world looks to Israel to protect them against Iranian hegemony in the region is a moment of, of truth for anybody that wants to see a safer, better world. Now, are we ever going to agree with the Saudis and their horrible, you know, evil treatment of women and gays and lesbians and persecution of Christians and Jews? No, but it's a, it's a start. You know, we did partner with the former Soviet Union to defeat Nazism in World War II. And it's too bad we didn't build upon that alliance. Cold War perhaps could have ended a lot sooner. Or he could have taken Patton's advice and gone straight into Russia uh, at the time, which is something that he was advocating for. All right, we we got that. Now, one other investigation we've got coming up on the program today. We now are continuing our deep dive— investigative dive into surveillance, unmasking, intelligence leaking, that everybody in the alt-left propaganda, destroy Trump media, has been ignoring. And that is, how is it possible there is a 400% increase in the year 2016 in surveillance and unmasking of Americans? Now, if you look at the statements, I was out on Friday, but, you know, late Thursday night or, or Friday morning, I forget when, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky came out publicly believing that he was spied upon.
2: We don't, haven't seen the evidence, but we have several sources telling us that members of the Obama administration were looking at p- political politicians, particularly people who were running for office.
1: Okay. Particularly people... Now, my sources are beginning to filter back to me things that they're looking into, and I want to be clear, not confirmed, not corroborated, but this is now like peeling off layers of an onion here to get to the source. In other words, the only reason there would be a 400% increase in the surveillance of Americans—now, remember, we have constitutional protections, Fourth Amendment constitutional rights— against unreasonable search and seizure if the government if the nsa if the cia if the fbi if any of these agencies that have surveillance capability want to surveil you they don't have a right to tap your phone it's illegal uh if they want to look into your text it's illegal if they want to look into your emails it's illegal You have a right to privacy. By the way, liberals often say it, but they don't mean it just like they don't mean that they're, you know, believers of freedom of speech either in a lot of different ways. So what I'm trying to tell you here is if we have a 400% increase in surveillance and unmasking of Americans, and if what Rand Paul is saying here, and I have no reason to doubt him because I'm getting a lot of... I'm getting a lot of things thrown in my direction that I can't corroborate yet, but my insider sources at the highest levels, highest, are telling within Congress, in intelligence, people are telling me this is bigger than anything we have ever seen in terms of the abuse and the the trampling of constitutional rights in on um, their words the history of of the United States of America, it makes Watergate look like kindergarten. I'm getting one Watergate analogy after another. Now I'm watching Sally Yates testifying. I don't really want to talk about her right now. I'll hit her. T- I'll hit the truth about her tonight on on Hannity, and and give you news and information that others won't give you in television. But I want you to really focus and understand something here. And then Sarah Carter and John Solomon will join us later in the program today. Also, Newt Gingrich today. If you have a 400% increase, a 400% increase in surveillance and unmasking in an election year, and it includes politicians in particular that are targeted, or I've never been able to corroborate by anybody reports that were out there that I was surveilled and unmasked, I, I wouldn't doubt it, but I have no evidence whatsoever to corroborate it, none. But you, people ask me because they've seen the reports. I've seen them too. All, all I know is what I've been reading in the press like you with no insider information on that. But my inside sources tell me every day this is bigger, that it is targeted towards Republican politicians, any conservative, high-profile conservative that supports Trump, that there is unprecedented violation of, of our constitutional rights, specifically the Fourth Amendment, First Amendment, and that this goes so deep and so wide that the only way that the government is allowed to have incidental surveillance of an American is if you are caught up in talking to somebody that they're actually surveilling a foreign national, for example. Like in the case of Michael Flynn, what happened in his case was an obvious felony. You know, um, you know, Sally Yates, while well, I spoke with the White House counsel three times about Flynn, she said today, we knew what Flynn said was not the truth. Well, the only reason that they knew what Flynn said, as Sally Yates is saying today, wasn't the truth, is because he was unmasked. Now, you got to understand, it was, it, in the case of Flynn, they didn't have a, a subpoena. They didn't have a wiretap. They didn't have a legal designation for him to To go out there and be surveilled, he's an American citizen. He was picked up in what they call incidental, an incidental pickup, because he was talking to his future counterparts, and his future counterparts were, in this case, a Russian ambassador. And as part of America's national security work, they would pick, they would surveil Russian ambassadors and and Iranian ambassadors, and and that's part of what they do. That's all legal, and they get. But to do it to an American, you need either FISA court approval or you need some other court approval that gives you the right to surveil an American. And then if you are picked up in an incidental surveillance, like in the case of General Flynn, if they do identify, oh, this is an American on the line. At that point, they're supposed to do a process that's called minimization minimizing that which they listen to, as long as you're not talking about something that is against the United States, they're not supposed to just say, oh, well, we're listening to the ambassador. Now we're going to listen to Michael, uh, general Flint, And then they took it a step further. Then they did something that we don't do. Now, if they have an incidental pickup of an American and they don't have a warrant to listen in on that American, that American has fourth amendment constitutional protections If they pick up that you're talking to somebody that they legitimately have the right to surveil and that you're picked up, that's called incidental, you know, recordings of Americans. That's all perfectly legal. The next step is to practice minimization. The next step after that is to write up a report. And in most cases, standard operating procedure. And Devin Nunez told me the head of the intelligence committee is not to identify the American, even if you know who it is. Now a step below that or above that is then we've had all of these incidents of a much higher percentage of Americans that were picked up incidentally or on purpose. In other words, the real charges that they have used under the guise of national security and real intelligence gathering, they have used a weapon of intelligence gathering and surveillance to surveil political opponents. That's what the bottom line is. Now, If an American is then unmasked in the case of General Flynn, that is a felony. And I'm sitting here listening to Sally Yates. Well, we told the White House the the public had been misled by Flynn. Well, the only way they knew that is because of the surveillance and unmasking of Flynn. Who did it? Now, who knew what, when and where? I've been asking that question from the beginning. What did the president know? What did Clapper know? What did Ben Rhodes know? What did Susan Rice know? What did Valerie Jarrett know? What did Brennan and Clapper know? What did I want to know what all of them knew and when. And who made the decision to unmask. And if there is not a justification for, on national security grounds for a 400% increase in surveillance and unmasking of Americans like Circa News reported late last week, then that means that our intelligence community has been used to spy on Americans illegally and then identify them. And that means the Trump campaign, a political opposition party. The ramifications of this are so massive. And it looks like it all happened. And if how else would you justify a 400% increase? you can't. All right, so Mother's Day is just days away, and while you're looking for the perfect way to show your mom and all the moms in your life how much you appreciate all they do for you, well, check out 1-800-Flowers.com. We've all got the best moms in the world, right? So, send them the best with 1-800-Flowers. And right now, 1-800-Flowers.com is offering you 18 lovely mom roses, and it's only twenty nine 18 lovely mom roses, 29 45% discount. Now, simply pick your date of delivery, let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. It's a beautiful mix of pink and white roses. This bouquet is guaranteed to show mom just how much she is loved. 18 lovely mom roses, $29.99, an amazing offer, but it expires today. So celebrate all the moms in your life with 1-800-Flowers.com. Now to order 18 lovely mom roses for twenty nine ninety nine, just go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click on the radio icon, enter My Last Name Hannity, 1-800-Flowers.com, click on the radio icon, My Last Name Hannity. Offer ends today, so hurry. All right, busy day today here on the Sean Hannity Show. We got uh, Dr. Condoleezza Rice is back, former Secretary of State. She's really smart. And she doesn't do a lot of interviews. She wrote a great book. This book is really awesome. Newt is with us today. Love to get his perspective. You know, a lot of people still talking to me about the health care bill. And I'm like, guys, you're not understanding what's going on here. Don't shoot the messenger. And I'm I'm only the messenger in this. Here's a fact. There are at least 100 House Republicans. And we're going to start identifying who's who before 2018 before people announce primaries etc there are at least a hundred of them that had no intention of really doing a repeal and replacement bill and you know i'm reading who was it susan collins today you know saying oh house republicans were wrong to defund planned parenthood well the person that's doing that is that and by the way people keep saying that's not going to happen Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price told us on this program, it's going to happen. We're going to hold him accountable like we always do. But this was, trust me, when when Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, Dave Bratt, Louis Gohmert, I had an opportunity to be with Louie on Friday in, in Texas and uh, I had a great time with Louie, he's such a good guy. And when those guys know that this is the best we're going to get, I understand your anger, but understand the waiver represents the opportunity. This is the beginning of the end of Obamacare. One of the things that most people that you're never going to be able to put it back together again. It's like Humpty Dumpty. And once Secretary Price uses the discretion that is allowed to the Health and Human Services Secretary, it it just dismantles it and it's already collapsed of its own weight anyway. So it's not like there's anything left to really salvage here. And now it's just a matter of doing the things that I discussed last week. And that is, you know, and this is where, where I got to give the Freedom Caucus the most credit because those waivers allow the competition that allows the driving down of rates and the increase in coverage and opens the door for the solutions like Dr. Umber in Wichita, Kansas for um, uh, health care cooperatives. That's, that's concierge service for 50 bucks a month for everybody in America. If you can't afford 50 bucks a month, you can't afford health care. And then the second thing it does is open the path for health care savings accounts. All right, so we got Dr. Rice, Condoleezza Rice, Sarah Carter on surveillance, unmasking and leaking and intelligence and Newt Gingrich and much more and your calls. All right, so I have insomnia, but I've never slept better. And what's changed? Just a pillow. It's had such a positive impact on my life. And, of course, I'm talking about MyPillow. I fall asleep faster, I stay asleep longer, and now you can too. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090. Use the promo code Hannity, and Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has the special four-pack. Now, you get 40% off two MyPillow premiums and two go-anywhere pillows. Now, MyPillow is made here in the USA, has a 60-day unconditional money-back guarantee, and a 10-year warranty.
3: He gives you the latest breaking news when he hits the air. This is the Sean Hannity Show.
4: And there was a reason why health care reform had not been accomplished before. It was hard. <laughs> it involved a sixth of the economy and all manner of stakeholders and interests. It was easily subject to misinformation and fear mongering. And so, by the time the vote came up to pass the Affordable Care Act, these freshmen congressmen and women knew that they had to make a choice, that they had a chance to insure millions and prevent untold worry and suffering and bankruptcy and even death, but that this same vote would likely cost them their new seats, perhaps end their political careers. And these men and women did the right thing. They did the hard thing. Theirs was a profile in courage. Because of that vote, 20 million people got health insurance who didn't have it before. And most of them, and most of them, did lose their seats. But they were true to what President Kennedy defined in his book as a congressional profile in courage: the desire to maintain a reputation for integrity. That is stronger than a desire to maintain office. The desire to maintain a reputation for integrity that is stronger than the desire to maintain office.
1: You got to understand. Twenty-four now till the top of the hour. Eight hundred nine four one. Sean, what you? This is somebody that is in such a deep, deep state of denial. Everything about Obamacare. By the way, Yates say, we warned Flynn could be blackmailed by the Russians. Really? I don't think so. And what happened to Flynn was illegal and a violation of the Espionage Act and a felony. Again, you can't pick up incidental surveillance, unmask, and then leak intelligence. It's illegal. And as we'll point out later in the show as we do our deep dive, a 400% increase in surveillance is and unmasking and leaking of intelligence is just the sidebar of that. But we'll get to that with Sarah Carter and John Solomon later in the program today. Um, but I just want to get back. Everything that Obama is now saying, he he sees his entire eight years in the White House, all of his illegal, unconstitutional executive actions. Everything that he fought for is now literally disintegrating right before his very eyes so the time for the radical Olinsky, frank marshall davis acorn activist, church of gd america reverend wright friend of bill Ayers and Bernadine dorn un- unrepentant domestic terrorists you know he never ever ever verged away from his radicalism and now we see he can't stand his entire eight years i said this in january well i said this after the election It's almost going to be like he was never there. Keystone, XL, now on the path. Coal mining industry, back back in action. You know, Dakota pipeline, back in action. Fracking will begin. Drilling will begin. The path to energy independence begins. The economy is going to be literally unshackled in ways that nobody ever dreamed of. We can kick Congress in the ass a little bit and get them moving. We want that to happen. We want a 15% corporate tax. We want a 10% repatriation. We want seven brackets to three. This is all good. The elimination of the double death tax. You pay your whole life, and then they take another 50%. You know, all things that we want. Education. He's gone forward with education. We're securing the borders. The wall's going to be built. A, 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 A constitutionalist on the Supreme Court, an originalist. All these things are happening And it's everything that Obama's entire life has been conditioned not to like, and he never had any capacities. The only president in my lifetime that I can think of that showed a total incapability of adjusting to the office and pushing aside his rigid ideology and taking on at least some pragmatic approach to governance He always saw the world through the prism in which he was indoctrinated, which is leftism, radicalism. There's no sister soldier moment we can point to. There's no the end of welfare as we know it. The era of big government is over. Those are all Bill Clinton moments where Clinton altered, adjusted, was pragmatic. And frankly, we were better off because of it. And him, because Newt Gingrich got an office as a result of the health care bill, we ended up balancing the budget and making the country a better place. And we stopped Hillary Care at the time. Now we've got the the big, big job of undoing the mess that is known as Obamacare. But the sad thing is he still believes his own lies. He believes his own talking points. You know, him spinning, you know, these statistics. Millions of Americans lost their health care. Millions lost their plans, lost their doctors. Millions of Americans, the average American, when you consider this year to, as well, pay is paying six thousand dollars more per year than they paid. The promise was keep your doctor, keep your plan, and the average family saves twenty five hundred dollar on average per year. Well, now it's a six thousand dollar increase, and then you got deductibles that are so high you never you don't. It's like you don't even have insurance. Unless you have a major heart attack or a stroke or you have cancer or that you have a horrific accident where, you know, 15 bones in your body are broken. It's like you don't have health insurance. I think we, more than anybody else in this country, have offered alternatives and solutions to this very—it's a complicated problem. It is one-sixth of the economy. That's the only true thing that he said in that statement. And the answer is the free market. The answer is health savings accounts. The answer are Dr. Umber-style cooperatives. I mean, I, he must hate my guts, this guy, because I constantly put him on. I'm mentioning him, and he says his phones ring off the hook. If I was in Wichita, Kansas, I would be a member of Dr. Umber's health cooperative. Unlimited care for 50 bucks a month for an adult. Unlimited care, 10 bucks a month per child. Direct negotiations he makes with with pharmaceutical providers to get you medicines at 95% off. 48 bucks for an x-ray. If you couple that with a high deductible, catastrophic plan that is next to nothing, you you know, for 100 bucks a month, you are fully, completely covered in every regard. And there is, and that's the answer. You know, poor Arizonans now pay 117% more this year than they paid last year. I know some of you are upset. A lot of you are upset. I can't help it at all that there are weak Republicans. But I am very appreciative, honestly. I'm very appreciative. And having spoken with these Freedom Caucus guys every single day in the lead up to the Friday before they pulled the bill, And every single day until it was passed last week, I am really appreciative that there is a group in D.C., the Freedom Caucus, Mark Meadows, Brat, Jim Jordan, Louie. I mean, I can't even mention all the guys. We need to expand the Freedom Caucus. We need 60 members of the Freedom Caucus, not 30 whatever they have. You get 60, they get critical mass. You get 60, then they will have to be paid attention to first, not last. You get 60 freedom. Urge your congressman, congresswoman to join the Freedom Caucus. Because they got this done. They got the waiver in that allows states to totally opt out. They understood and got assurances from Health and Human Services Secretary Price on very important issues to me, like defunding Planned Parenthood. And they made this thing work, and they got the win for the president, and we got a trillion dollars in savings that's all going to be applied to the president's economic plan. This this was a must-win scenario. Now, you might say, well, Hannity, they could have done better. Well, they were all, in fairness, not with 100 moderate Republicans. No. They suck. I don't even know what else to say about them. You know, and, and at some point, we're going to name names. You know, Ted Cruz is quoted today. And by the way, Ted Cruz, let me, let me tell you more behind the scenes, because I knew what was going on. Ted Cruz... And Rand Paul and Mike Lee worked with the Freedom Caucus tirelessly to help get this bill to where it was, and also factored in all the parliamentary hurdles that they will face that are real. Now, I know most of you don't want to hear about reconciliation, cloture. I know your eyes are glazing over. The bird rule. Nobody needs to know about it. But these are real parliamentary hurdles, at least to some extent. It was overblown in the beginning until somebody actually decided to talk to the Senate parliamentarian. And then they found out that a lot of what we were being told was was B.S. Anyway, you know, Ted Cruz, to his credit, he said, I want to commend him. He was there every step of the way. Mike Lee was there. Rand Paul was there working with the Freedom Caucus to try and get the win so that they can get it to the Senate. And I want you know, I commend them all. And Ted Cruz, for setting the correct priorities over the weekend when it comes to the health care legislation now making its way in the Senate, he said, first and foremost, in every Republican senator's mind, should be this mantra. Failure is not an option. They absolutely must pass a version of repeal and replace that can be approved in conference and make its way to the president's desk. He's right. Failure is not an option here. I support Senator Cruz. And he acknowledged that Senate Republicans face an uphill battle. To do this, he said, for seven years Republicans have been promising. If only you elect us. Give us the House. We'll repeal, replace. Give us the Senate and the House. We'll repeal, replace. They gotta give us the White House. He was on with our buddy Larry Kudlow, I guess, over the weekend at the ex-wife in New York. I think the consequences of failure would be catastrophic. But it's going to take senators across the Republican conference being willing to sit down in good faith. He's right. And then we've got Obamacare's architect and this is so outrageous remember the liar Jonathan Gruber guy once credited the quote stupidity of the American voter for the passage of Obamacare said Sunday Obama said President Trump was to blame for its decline of Obamacare after being told that Iowa's loan insurance company 94 of its 99 counties is considering dropping out Gruber said look whose fault is this before President Trump was elected, there were no counties in America that didn't have an insurer. Well, I thought we had options. I thought the whole idea, there's no options for anybody anymore. You're stuck with what they give you. You're not keeping your doctor or your plan because of the great lie that was told by everybody that supported this bill. And Chris Wallace, to his, to his credit, interrupted and said, well, you're going to blame the problems of Obamacare on President Trump? And Gruber responds, well, insurers' profits were trending positively. Oh, but meanwhile, premiums are skyrocketing. Insurers were saying positive. No, they weren't. Insurers, the head of Aetna, was saying it was a death spiral. And then you have a president that comes in, undercuts open enrollment, doesn't honor the obligations this law makes to insurers. As a result, he said premiums. No, the premiums went up under Obama. They just continue the great lies. Keep your doctor. Keep your plan. Save on average twenty five hundred dollars per person per year. And Carl Rose said that Rove said Trump may have stopped the Obamacare advertising, but this isn't Trump's fault. I love how everything's Trump's fault. The dog bites. The beast things. If you're feeling sad, it's all Trump's fault. You know, National Review Online in February reported that. Data released by the Obama administration's own Center for Disease Control, the number of people who died in Obama since Obamacare's in, um, implementation, people who would be alive today under the old health care system, now tops 80,000. Excuse me. Whoops. 80,000 fewer Americans would have died in 2015 alone had mortality continued to decline during Obamacare's implementation in 2014 and 15 at the same rate, 20, 2000 to 2013. That's 80,000 lives right there. I guess I guess Sarah Palin wasn't so stupid after all. I guess Sarah Palin was right. A new French president favors open borders and an Iranian nuclear deal. Why didn't you people 90 percent of Paris went with Le Pen. Le Pen. It went against Le Pen. Anyway, House Committee announces a probe into Obama's nuclear giveaway to Iran. The biggest, biggest, the worst deal in the history of mankind. Forget everything else. Oh, Barbara Streisand is kicking off Hillary's 2020 campaign. We'll get to that. Michael Goodwin thinks that Hillary's running in 2020. Then we have Bill Maher making jokes about, like incest jokes, about Ivanka Trump. So disgusting. Some of you saying, well, you rethink, Hannity. Are you going to rethink your fire Colbert boycott? No, I'm not. I don't support boycotts. Because they're being used to silence conservative voices. You told Sean you
3: need his insider updates. Straight from the source on today's big news. And Hannity gives you more every day. Sean Hannity.
4: And there was a reason why health care reform had not been accomplished before. It was hard. <laughs> it involved a sixth of the economy and all manner of stakeholders and interests. It was easily subject to misinformation and fear-mongering. And so by the time the vote came up to pass the Affordable Care Act, these freshmen congressmen and women knew that they had to make a choice, that they had a chance to insure millions and prevent untold worry, and suffering, and bankruptcy, and even death. But that this same vote would likely cost them their new seats, perhaps end their political careers. And these men and women did the right thing. They did the hard thing. Theirs was a profile in courage. Because of that vote, 20 million people got health insurance who didn't have it before. And most of them... And most of them did lose their seats. But they were true to what President Kennedy defined in his book as a congressional profile in courage. The desire to maintain a reputation for integrity that is stronger than a desire to maintain office. The desire to maintain a reputation for integrity that is stronger than a desire to maintain office. And it is my fervent hope and the hope of millions that regardless of party, such courage is still possible that today's members of Congress, regardless of party, are willing to look at the facts and speak the truth, even when it contradicts party positions. I hope that current members of Congress recall that it actually doesn't take a lot of courage to aid those who are already powerful, already comfortable, already influential. But it does require some courage to champion the vulnerable and the sick and the infirm, those who often have no access to the corridors of power. I hope they understand that courage means not simply doing what is politically expedient, but doing what they believe deep in their hearts is right.
5: We suffered with Obamacare. I went through two years of campaigning, and I'm telling you, no matter where I went, people were suffering so badly with the ravages of Obamacare. And I will say this, that uh, as far as I'm concerned, your premiums, they're going to start to come down. We're going to get this passed through the Senate. I feel so confident. Uh, Your deductibles, when it comes to deductibles, they were so ridiculous that nobody got to use their current plan. Uh, This non-existent plan that I heard so many wonderful things about over the last three or four days after that, I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think you're going to hear so much right now. The insurance companies are fleeing. It's been a catastrophe, and this is a great plan. I actually think it will get even better, and this is, make no mistake, this is a repeal and a replace of Obamacare. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake.
1: All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, our toll-free telephone number. Now, there's a, a congressman who praised Obamacare showing a profile and courage because, well, oh, that was more important than losing their seats. And, uh, of course, then we have Obama uh, now speaking out about Obamacare and members of Congress. It takes courage to champion the vulnerable and the sick. Yeah, he's the same guy that said Republicans want dirty air and, and dirty water. And then the president saying, make no mistake, the repeal and replacement of Obamacare. And then he talked about the plan. There were three things that we've come to realize in all of this. One is that there are at least 100 Republicans that had no intention of repealing and replacing Obamacare, which is beyond disappointing. Number two is that between the waivers and the fact that the Health and Human Services Secretary, Tom Price, has said he will defund Planned Parenthood and other issues, there is great discretion by which this will dismantle all of Obamacare. Here to help explain this and the political side of it is the former Speaker of the House, New Kingrich. How are you, sir? And by the way, he's got a brand-new book, Understanding Trump. I think it's available. It's an online book? Or...
6: I'm, I'm very excited. Understanding Trump, I think, will actually help a lot of people have a better sense of what he's doing and why he's trying to do it. And That's why I wrote it, because having, as you know, because you and I have talked about it so much over the last couple of years, he's a very complicated, interesting guy, and he's uh, truth is he's winning. Uh, and I love, uh, I, as I'm sure you do, the the list of new... Uh, nominees to the appeals court judges, which fit exactly the same pattern of uh, Federalist Society conservatives that he made with uh, Justice Gorsuch. So in a lot of ways, I'm very happy with with where Trump is going. And I think by the time the Senate's done and the Conference Committee's done, that uh, President Trump's going to get the kind of reforms most Americans can support. Uh, And I think that it'll it'll be very important in terms of making sure that Americans understand that, that the collapsing disaster of Obamacare. This is what conservatives are not very good at hammering home. You know, Barack Obama doesn't have a clue. This is a guy who lied to us about keeping our doctor, lied to us about keeping our our uh, our, our insurance policy if we liked it, knew at the time he was lying, just as he lied to us about Benghazi, knowing he was lying. Uh, and so I think you have to start with this idea that uh, this is a guy who... who wants to keep his namesake, and you can understand that. It's called Obamacare. But the truth is, Obamacare is in a death spiral. I I like very much what Speaker Paul Ryan said yesterday when he said, look, we're on a rescue mission. I mean, we're watching this whole system collapse. We're watching people in Iowa have no choices. People in Knoxville, Tennessee have no choices. Uh, And and our job is to go out and find a much better system using the private sector, using the local choice, having the governors uh, have flexibility. And I think we can do that, and I think we can do it while also preserving and protecting uh, the American people in a way that they will be comfortable
1: with. I think Obama's now hit his 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 saturation point of not being loved, and I think that's why he's coming out. I don't think he's going to have the ability to do what George W. Bush did for him, which is just be quiet and let the new president deal with the challenges of the office. Am I wrong?
6: Well, sure, but it's also a different situation. I mean— uh, Donald Trump is the end of their world. I you mean, know, if you're a left winger, there's a reason. For example, that the other night uh, you had Colbert going crazy. Uh,
1: well, then this weekend you had what, Bill Maher going crazy.
6: Right, and, and and the fact is, what you have with the, the Trump administration, the Trump leadership, where he wants to take America, is the opposite of the world these people thought they were going to create. And uh, I just finished reading Shattered, which is a fascinating insider account of the Clinton campaign. And you begin to realize, I mean, they really, up, up until about 8 or 9 o'clock election night, they knew they were going to win. They, they knew they were going to continue the Obama pattern, the Obama personnel, the Obama policies. And so they've never recovered from the the, the the savagery, literally of pivoting about 8 or 9 o'clock at night on Tuesday night and being told, you know... Uh, we're not going to make it. And so that's a lot of what you're still getting. And if you watch Hillary in these occasional you know, moments of explaining that she takes full responsibility for the fact that Comey did it to her, uh, it's just it's, it's sad. These are people who are desperate, and, and they're out of touch with reality, and I think that it shows.
1: Well, I'm watching all of this. I mean, you know, imagine back in the, the, the day, you know, Bill Maher this weekend crossing a line with a tasteless, incest joke, as the Daily Mail called it, about Ivanka Trump. Now, listen, I know there was a lot of strong criticism against Barack Obama, and there was criticism against Michelle when she said, for the first time in my adult life, I'm proud of my country, but I don't remember any criticism against his children, who seem lovely by every uh, objective measure, and it's not easy growing up in the White House, but they have attacked a 10-year-old kid, the daughter of the president, the wife of the president, in ways that were unimaginable just a few right. years ago. And yeah, they're totally, completely and utterly unhinged, but it's not stopping, and it's now at an accelerated rate with an intensity we've never seen.
6: And it's going to get worse. I mean, there, there are only two futures here. Either Trump decides this is all too painful, and he caves in, and he accepts that the left is going to be dominant in America, or Trump is going to gradually break them because the country doesn't want this stuff. And uh, I, I, just, I was very struck. In fact, I, I, I don't know if you had a chance to get to you, but I, I emailed you this morning. I did read it. Very interesting. You know, the very interesting study of that uh, the British local elections where, contrary to the normal pattern where the incumbent uh, Prime Minister's party loses ground, uh, the conservatives gained over 400 seats in local elections, crushed the Labour Party, uh, and, and uh, really dramatically changed the balance of power. Uh, in, in England, in particular, and, and instructing at what is happening, and you see this. I don't know if you saw the uh, CBS News did this focus group among Democrats, and had all these Democrats were saying, you know, I'm tired of the Democratic Party being desperate. I'm tired of the Democratic Party being negative, et cetera. And, and these are they're talking to the Pennsylvania Democrats who clearly are drifting away from their party. And this is what happened to the Labour Party in Britain. This is why uh, Prime Minister May called the uh, the snap election for next month because she realized that the, the Labor Party was now so weak uh, that she could get you know, really have a historic impact and strengthen her hand dramatically. I'm beginning to think we may see the same thing happening uh, over the next year and a half, and we may see 2018 as a great referendum. This really It's really a, a two-way choice. Do you, you want to fail with Obamacare? Do you want to fail with the welfare state? Do you want to fail with a weak military? Do you want to fail with policies that allow drug addiction? Or are you prepared to be with some people who are working their hearts out trying to find solutions and trying to get things done? And my hunch is the average American is going to say, even when when Trump makes a mistake or the Republicans make a mistake, they're going to say, you know, they're making a mistake while they're trying to get something done, and that they like that a heck of a lot better than the guys who just are nasty and vulgar and negative and have no ideas at all
1: we got to take a break. We'll continue more with uh, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, is with us. He's got a brand-new book coming out. He'll tell us more about it on the other side, and that is called Understanding Trump, and we'll get to that and Sally Yates and her testimony, and we'll check in the very latest. There was a 400% increase in the surveillance of people that surrounded the president and the unmasking of Americans in 2016. How is that justified in terms of using the national security apparatus of this country and surveillance apparatus and technology of this country to go after political opponents and what does it mean we'll have a full report coming up with john solomon and sarah carter and we'll have that on hannity tonight at 10
5: bad for america cbs tv and it's the news like nobody else this is the sean hannity
2: show you talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. Your presidential library is going to be a kid's menu want a couple of jugs magazine. The only thing smaller than your hands is your tax returns. And you can take that any way you want. One reporter ran into Reince Priebus who told her, The president stepped up and helped punt the ball into the end zone. I think a more accurate football metaphor might have been the GOP just kicked America in the...
1: All right, that was Bill Maher and his viciousness and Stephen Colbert and how vile they are. You know, some conservatives don't understand why I say that I don't support the boycotts of these shows and that everybody has an opportunity to either turn off the TV or flip the dial... Because these boycott techniques are being used against conservatives, against every talk radio host, every, every everybody on the Fox News channel. I've I've been under attack in a pretty acute way in recent weeks, and it boycott is just another way of silencing. And some of our conservative brethren don't agree with me.
6: Well, I, look, I I actually think free speech is good. Me too. And I, I think it's good for people to realize this is what the left is like. It is vulgar. It is vicious. Uh, it is destructive, personally. It, it doesn't mind, as you pointed out earlier, it doesn't mind attacking children. Uh, it had, it, there, there are no holds barred because these people are desperate. Uh, and, and they're increasingly the party of failure. And so, you know, they can't be honest because their programs can't be defended. Uh, you know, if, if Obama had told the truth about Obamacare, you're going to lose your doctor, you're going to lose your, your, your insurance policy, he never would have gotten it through. Uh, and this is the whole problem they have across the board. If they're honest about how bad their inner-city teachers' unions are failing in places like Baltimore, they would never be able to support them. So they, they now have a of lying so constantly that it is unbelievable. And, of course, uh, there, these so-called comedians are simply uh, reflections of the desperation and the panic that's setting them up. They're very parallel to what you're seeing on college campuses where – Left wingers are, are desperate to avoid free speech and they're desperate to avoid honest debate
1: because they can't win them. I mean, this is a really practical reason these people are so bad. It's sad uh, that you have so I'm many on, on the. Being it's sad that so many on the left do not live up to their, you know, their own simple basic values, and then one of them is free speech. You mentioned something in the last segment that intrigued me. He said, "Well, if Donald, it depends on Donald Trump. Is he going to decide that he doesn't feel like." dealing with a, a lunatic left wing that is unhinged and attacking him and his family, or he's just going to stay and fight. I don't see the any other option but fighting, and I don't see any part of his character that indicates he'd stop fighting.
6: No, I don't, I don't either. But my, my point, is, this is a little bit like a point that uh, may surprise you. One of the great novels ever written about Abraham Lincoln was by Gore Vidal. Now, that's somebody I would normally have picked to write right, a really? novel about Lincoln. But it's a brilliant novel, uh, and <clears throat> the point that is made at the end of the novel is, as long as he lived, the union was eventually going to win, because he would never, ever quit. Well, the same thing is beginning to happen here. I mean, Trump is going to get a better and better grip on the city. He's going to get a better grip on the bureaucracy. He's going to get a better grip on the Congress. And Trump's, my uh, I've always told people this, Trump is not a traditional conservative in you know a National Review Bill Buckley sense, but... He has four great values, anti-stupid, anti-politically correct, anti-left, and passionately deeply pro-American. I have a whole section in my new book, "Understanding Trump, talking about these four values. Well, it turns out anti-stupid hurts the left, anti-left obviously hurts the left, anti-politically correct hurts the left, and the left just hates the idea of being passionately pro-American. So Trump ends up functionally being their, their worst nightmare.
1: Uh, Mr. Speaker, right. love having you on the show. It's called okay. Understanding right. Trump. We'll put it up on our website Hannity.com if you want to pre-order. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, don't forget Sarah Carter, John Solomon review why a 400% increase in intelligence surveillance and a masking in 2016. <laughs>
3: Sean gets the answers no one else does. America deserves to know the truth about
1: Congress. Well, let me ask you about that because in because President Trump whether it's Erdogan in Turkey or El-Sisi in Egypt or Putin in Russia the, 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 the sound of freedom does not seem to come often in conversations with him. Is there a cost from that?
7: Well, I think it's early in the administration. There's something about the presidency that you recognize over time, the tremendous, uh, not just responsibility, but the weight that it carries. And, of course, we're going to have to deal with the president of Egypt. Of course, we're going to have to deal with the president of Turkey. But it's well to remember, too, uh, that our interest in our values uh, suggests that when countries that we have good relations with, with and want good relations with actually reform before there are revolutions, our interests are served too. And I think that if the United States, uh, democracy promotion actually is very often not very expensive. It's supporting elections, supporting the building of civil society, supporting a free press abroad. So I have no problem with uh, the president meeting with uh, those leaders. He has to. But we always need to speak for our values as well. And our values are the belief that we were endowed with certain rights by our creator. It can't be true for just us and not for them.
1: All right, that was Condoleezza Rice, and she is uh, back in the public eye. Always good to have her back. She has written a brand-new book. It's called Democracy, Stories from the Long Road to Freedom. Uh, Dr. Rice, it's always an honor, privilege, and a pleasure. How are you?
8: I'm doing well, thank you. It's great to be back with you.
1: Probably the biggest Led Zeppelin and football fan in the history of, co- of the country. Is that true?
8: That's absolutely right on both counts. Oh, my
1: gosh, so you're still, like, working out and, and playing, you know, Led Zeppelin, Stairway to Heaven.
8: I'm working out even more uh, wow. to Led Zeppelin and working out with the Stanford in the Stanford varsity weight room, and uh, those wow. kids, are, uh, kids are learning what music sounded like when it was really good in the 60s.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm, uh, I'm loving this, and I know you're happy. It's, it's interesting. I love the reports that you have a relationship with the president. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
8: Yes, uh, indeed. I uh, was honored to be invited by the president to uh, come and, and see him at the uh, in the Oval Office a few weeks ago when I was in Washington. Uh, he is the president, and I, re- I admire and respect uh, anyone who holds that office. And my view is that every American needs to try and make uh, the help to be the, help the president to be successful in any way that we can.
1: And I know how you feel foreign policy is obviously your, your passion, your love, where you have studied and obviously participated in, in history throughout the years. You know, these are very difficult times we're living in. Um, I think I know how you probably feel about the Iranian deal. I think North Korea is the most pressing problem right now and for a lot of different reasons. They have nuclear weapons, in spite of the fact that Bill Clinton told us after he gave them $4 billion that they're never going to get nuclear weapons. They did get nuclear capability. Now we watch them on a regular basis attempting to get ICBM capability, and that would mean that those nuclear warheads could reach the continental United States. That should scare everybody. They have threatened not only the entire region, but Israel and the rest of the world. Once somebody has a nuclear weapon, how do you possibly stop them from getting ICBM cap- capability, knowing that a lot of hundreds of thousands, if not more, people could die in the process.
8: Well, Sean, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is the most serious, I think, and most imminent national security problem this president faces. And uh, anybody who's president of the United States, I don't care who it is, cannot tolerate this circumstance in which, uh, I don't know if he's being told in three years, four years, or five years, at some point, the North Koreans are going to be able to reach the territory of the United States uh, with intercontinental ballistic missiles, uh, with married to a nuclear warhead and that's simply um, unacceptable especially given the character of that regime, uh, which is reckless, uh, maybe even a little unhinged. And so um, I think what the administration is trying to do, and I've seen it from Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, I've seen it from the president, is to say to the one state that has some leverage, not absolute leverage, but some leverage with the North Koreans, that's China. Uh, Look, either you deal with the North Koreans or we have to. And uh, I think they're getting the attention of the Chinese on this. The Chinese have to get over the idea that if they do anything tough with the North Korean regime, the regime might collapse and that would be bad for Chinese interests. They've just got to recognize that it's now the time to tighten the screws on the North Korean regime because uh, the American president can't sit by and let this continue.
1: Well, I agree, but I'm listening very carefully to everything you're saying, uh, Madam Secretary. And when you say, you know, either you handle this or we will have to, it just presents to me in my mind such a difficult needle to thread and it's a razor's edge because you, you you've you've got to look at what's happening i mean the proximity to not only china but south korea yeah. and japan yeah. and that any attempt to stop them from getting ICBMs, Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, is going to be met with the possibility, and you use the word unhinged and reckless, I, I don't know how militarily you do that. How do you thread that needle? How is it even possible?
8: Well, I'm sure the president is asking for his options. Uh, he has to keep all options on the table, but obviously uh, military options are not very palatable here. They're, they're very difficult for exactly the reasons you mentioned. Uh, the, the threat to Seoul is a threat of just a, a matter of hours because North Korea and South Korea sit literally across the line from one another. And even a conventional uh, attack by North Korea on South Korea would cause uh, many, many civilian casualties. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to thread that needle. And that means that you press the Chinese to, uh, to rein in this regime to, at, very, at the very least, uh, for the time being, get them to stop the progress that they're making, um, and then uh, you tell the South Koreans, uh, you know, that we're trying to protect them. That's why the uh, deployment of THAAD, our theater ballistic missile defenses, was so important. We've been doing
1: Very the same important. kinds of
8: things with Japan. Yeah. And so uh, th- that's the package. You know, at this point you have to try to use a package. Defensive measures for our allies, pressure by the Chinese, Pressure from the rest of the international community and and more sanctions if you can get them. And then always keep the specter that if all else fails, the United States is prepared to act alone.
1: I would hate to think of that possibility because there's so many lives in such close proximity that the dangers are real. Um, I think if you look at the president in his first 100 days, one of the most underreported stories of, of, uh, I think, a great success on his part, and I think the Iranian deal opened this opportunity up in ways nobody imagined, and that is an emerging alliance with Israel, the Saudis, with the Egyptians, the Jordanians, and on the other side of it, and I'm told by people that were there, that meetings that were supposed to go 30 minutes with the, the president of China went on for five hours on two separate occasions with the president. And the Chinese president goes back and he put 175,000 troops on the border with North Korea um, and and said he'd open up trade. He returned some coal that was being imported and then imported American coal. So the Chinese propaganda newspaper has been very clear warning North Korea about their actions. So there seems to have been relationships built and an opportunity here that never existed before with new and emerging alliances, based on your background, do you see that as well?
8: I do see that, uh, very much so. As a matter of fact, uh, if I take the the two issues, first of all, on China, I think you're right. Uh, We are seeing the Chinese make some moves. They need to make more. But one reason you can tell that the Chinese are making some moves is the North Koreans are starting to criticize the Chinese, and uh, that's a good sign, frankly. Uh, You're also seeing, um, with the Middle East, two things have happened. The first is that the president was very clear that he understands that the threat to the Middle East is uh, the, one of the biggest threats of the Middle East is Iran and Iran's revisionist, uh, revanchist, aggressive powers against uh, the region and against our allies. And so that was very welcomed by the uh, Gulf state Arabs like the Saudis and the UAE and rec- welcomed by Israel. And then uh, the president's strike um, against the SAD's uh, air bases when he used chemical weapons against his own people, sent a very strong message. Uh, It, in fact, reinforced a red line that President Obama had put there, and then it had been crossed. And I think the message, yes, the United States, the President of the United States is not going to sit by and let... Uh, chemical weapons be used against uh, babies in Syria was also really reassuring to our allies who've been looking for some teeth to American policy in the Middle East.
1: Madam Secretary, you played such a pivotal role, and if you think of, I wrote a book in 2004 called Deliver Us from Evil and defeating uh, terrorism, despotism, and liberalism, because I think if we don't win the, the ideological war, the political war, you don't have the the will and the strength to understand how peace through strength works, and that was my argument. I got criticized for it at the time. Shocking, I know. Um, (laughs) I've never been criticized before, Madam Secretary.
8: Me me either. Me either,
1: Sean. And and I'm assuming you being on this show is a a source of criticism (laughs) for you. Um, But in all seriousness, you know, there were 100 million human souls slaughtered in the last century alone. Real human beings, real lives, the Holocaust, Nazism, fascism, imperial Japan, communism, Stalin. I mean, the killing fields. We can go through the whole list. You're writing about stories from the long road to freedom. And as I'm reading all this, and, and I know how smart you are, and you've dedicated your life to this study and democracy, and I'm thinking, okay, how do we now deal with the situation of evil today? Radical Islam the Iranians, the Iranians' nuclear ambitions. And, you know, as you, as you write in this book and as you look at today's situations, you know, tell us what you see that's similar or different or the challenges. To me, in many ways, they're the same.
8: The first thing, Sean, is to call it what it is. Um, we have confronted in the 20th century unspeakable evils, and you name them, and we're confronting in the 21st century unspeakable evils, uh, ISIS, Uh, beheading people on television is an unspeakable evil. And so the first thing is the United States has to stand morally for the fact that there is actually good and evil in the world. Uh, Sometimes that's uncomfortable for people, but it's true. Secondly, uh, the United States has to demonstrate that we're willing to try and defend um, an order of peace-loving peoples and That's why I thought one of the other really important things the president did was to increase the American defense budget, because that sends a signal about America in the world. But, John, the reason I wrote this book about democracy is that the way that we've really uh, fought evil in the long run is with a better idea than any of them ever had, and that was that free peoples, free men and women would be peaceful, men and women. We took a chance that a democratic Germany would never def- never uh, attack its neighbors again, that a democratic Japan would would never be a threat to its neighborhood. And look at what Germany and Japan are today. They are pillars of international stability. And so I think when we uh, seek to help countries become democratic, we're also seeking to bring into the system states and, and leaders that don't... Well- don't have
1: uh, sponsors staying here. Let me let me pick up there. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice is well. You've had too many jobs. If I list them, it'll take the whole half hour. She's written a brand new book. We're putting it up on Hannity.com now. It's called Democracy: Stories from the Long Road to Freedom.
3: Final hour roundup is next. You do not want to miss it. And stay tuned for the final hour free for all on the Sean Hannity Show.
1: All right, as we continue with former Secretary of State, former National Security Advisor, and now a very happy football fan and Led Zeppelin fan and and the author of the brand new book, it is a a critical piece of work I urge you to read, and it's up on Hannity.com, Democracy Stories from the Long Road to Freedom. Dr. Rice, I I look at the actions that you're talking about, and people forget that we were able to sustain America's military strength in the midst of a Cold War, and eventually we won. Do you see similar situations? playing out, especially as it relates to Iran and North Korea?
8: I think in the long run, uh, Sean, uh, we will win if we persevere, if uh, America is strong, and if our ideals uh, persevere. And I think we have to work on, on all fronts. Look, It doesn't mean that uh, we're going to go around uh, using our military power to, to bring about democracy. One of the things I really hope to do with this book, Sean, is uh, you know, whenever you say democracy promotions, people say, well, there was Iraq and there was Afghanistan. In fact, uh, I would never have said President Bush, Mr. President, you should use military force to bring democracy to Afghanistan and to Iraq. Those were security problems. In Afghanistan, we had uh, a safe haven for Al-Qaeda after 9-11. In Iraq, we had a brutal dictator who had terrorized the region and who we believed was rebuilding his weapons of mass destruction. But once we had overthrown those dictators, now we had to decide what did we think uh, we should try to leave there, and we try to leave Democratic governments and give the Iraqi chance, the Iraqis and the Afghans a chance for democracy. Democracy promotion is... But we pulled out too early. We we, we, we pulled out too early. That is absolutely...
1: We didn't case. finish the job. 5,000 Americans died and, and fought, bled, and so many others injured. I, I don't even know if in good conscience, Dr. Rice, I can support it if America, like in Vietnam and in the case of Iraq, doesn't have the will to see these things through.
8: Well, you are right. We pulled out too early in... Uh, in 2011, uh, the Obama administration was saying Iraq is stable and democratic. Well, they were right about one part of it. It was democratic, but it wasn't yet stable. And uh, we, after the surge, we had actually helped to make it stable. Now we're back. And I hope this time that uh, we are willing to, to help the Iraqis uh, get stable, and, and then you'll have a, a read, uh, you'll have a, a pillar of stability in the military. Let East.
1: me ask a last question. How does America, how do we balance dealing with countries like saudi arabia where women can't drive gays and lesbians are killed christians and jews are persecuted and yet we have to create alliances with people that have such twisted and and backwards views in my opinion
8: yeah the fact is that you're never going to just be able to deal with people who have your values in international politics and you're going to have some allies even some friends who don't share your values but over time you have to try and uh convince them that it's better to reform i sure wish we'd convinced mubarak that reform was uh was Mm -hmm. preferable to revolution
1: well look at el sisi he's doing great
8: well but he's gonna have to reform too or because that that powder keg in in egypt will not stay uh will not stay down so we can we have to defend our interests
1: dr rice her brand new book democracy stories from the long road to freedom thank you for being with us we'll see you tonight on tv all right, let me remind everybody and by the way, glad you're with us 80941 Sean if you want to be a part of this extravaganza, news roundup and information overload hour. And let me remind you James Comey. Remember the most important story that is slowly peeling, it's like a layer of an onion at a time, and that is surveillance and that is unmasking and leaking of intelligence. And let me remind you this is what James Comey has said about people like Susan Rice and others as it relates to this topic.
9: With respect to uh, Ms. Abbott in particular we we didn't have any indication that she had a sense that what she was doing was in violation of the law. Couldn't prove any sort of criminal intent. Really the central problem we have with the whole email investigation was proving that people knew the secretary and others knew that they were doing so, that they were communicating about classified information in a way that they shouldn 't be, and proving that they had some sense that they were doing something unlawful. That was our burden, and we weren 't able to meet it. I said to my team, we've got to walk into the world of really bad. I've got to tell Congress that we're restarting this, not in some frivolous way, in a hugely significant way. And the team also told me, we cannot finish this work before the election. And then they worked night after night after night, and they found thousands of new emails. They found classified information on Anthony Weiner. Somehow her emails are being forwarded to Anthony Weiner, including classified information by her assistant, Huma Abedin, and so they found thousands of New emails, and then called me the Saturday night before the election and said, Thanks to the wizardry of our technology, we've only had to personally read 6,000. We think we can finish tomorrow morning, Sunday. And so I met with them, and they said, We found a lot of new stuff. We did not find anything that changes our view of her intent.
10: Do you agree with me that Anthony Weiner of 2016 should not have access to classified information? Yes, that's a fair statement. Would you agree with me that if that's not illegal, we've got really bad laws? Well, if he
9: hadn't...
10: Right, well, would, he got it somehow. It would
9: be illegal if he didn't have appropriate clearance. Well,
10: do you agree with me he didn't have appropriate clearance? He did. If he did have appropriate clearance, that'd even be worse.
9: I don't believe at the time we found that on his laptop that he had any kind of clearance. Yeah, I
10: agree. So for him to get it should be a crime. Somebody should be prosecuted for letting Anthony Weiner have access to classified information. Does that make general sense?
9: It could be a crime. Would depend upon what the people... Well, do you agree with me? It should be
10: that anybody that lets Anthony Weiner have classified information probably should be prosecuted.
9: There's no Anthony Weiner statute, but it is... There's already... (laughs) Well, maybe we need one. There's already a statute.
10: All right, good. There's already a statute. I just wonder how you can get classified information and not be a crime by somebody.
1: All right, joining us now is Sarah Carter. She is the Senior National Security Correspondent for Circa.com. Also joining us, John Solomon. I don't even know what his title is, but, you know, i got to give John Solomon more kudos than Sarah who's been on vacation for 400 years. <laughs> well, how long was your vacation for?
11: It was
1: nine days. Nine days. I, You know, with all due respect, you sound like Congress now with a nine-day vacation. They're on another two-week hiatus. <laughs> they just had a two-week Easter I break. I have
11: had one in so long, Sean. I haven't had one in so long. It was fantastic, but i got to tell you, it's hard to get back into the flow of everything here. It's so fast-paced.
1: All right, so what I want to go through is, John, we went over this Thursday night on Hannity. Let's go through there uh, there was a dramatic increase in surveillance unmasking of Americans during the final years and especially in 2016 in the lead-up to this election of Americans and unmasking of Americans. By the Obama administration, which can only, when you look at the numbers, make me conclude that this was all political.
12: It, uh, the numbers are really large. In, in, ni- in 2016, in the middle of the election, uh, the Obama administration ran 35,000 searches on Americans through the NSA database, both for metadata and for actual contents of intercepts. And that was a 300 to 400 percent increase over 2013. So every year since Obama loosened the privacy protections and allowed this searching to start to begin, uh, you start to see it being used more and more and more. In the middle of an election year, the first question you're going to ask is, was it being used for political espionage? And those are the sort of questions that we need to get from people like Susan Rice. But she hasn't agreed to testify yet. And so we're still in the dark as to what motive they had uh, All right. So what, what
1: percentage increase are we talking about in terms of surveillance unmasking masking and asking particularly? Three to
12: four hundred percent. We're talking three to four times as much uh, searching in 2016 and, as they did in 2013.
1: OK, so three to four times more in a three year period of time. Now, look, I've already been saying this. I Sarah, I don't know any other possible reason that they would do this except if it is political surveillance in other words using america's intelligence agencies to go out there and in this case look at not only the president and his campaign then campaign uh uh then candidate donald trump and those around him but also those in the media that supported him and other political figures Rand paul has been saying this as well
11: it's absolutely one of the most important questions uh sean and i think it goes far beyond just political uh the the political concerns here and i think john brought up a very very important point i mean people need to start answering questions and it's not just susan rice we have to look at you know james clapper we have to ask you know, Brennan, former head of the CIA, and other people that had access to this type of information, even people within the administration that were also having access to this information. Why were they collecting it? And, you know, John brought up a very good point in his story, and it's something that we researched early on in our first story. But, you know, the FBI, we still don't know how many of these, um, you know, unmaskings, took place with the fbi i mean we don't have those numbers think about this this is a 300 to 400 percent increase with the nsa with looking at this nsa data but we still don't know what the fbi was unmasking and that's an even bigger question right here
1: well i mean and this is the thing every time james comey speaks he's always obscure and obtuse and and you know i'm nebulous about all of these issues and he seems to be far more conversational about things involving Russia and any influence the Russians may have had in the campaign, when in fact there's zero evidence to corroborate it, and we've been hearing about it since November 9th.
11: Yes, but remember when he was pushed, when he was pushed last week in his
1: interviews, when
11: he was pushed, and I believe it was. You were when on he
1: vacation slammed. and you were watching James Comey. Now I'm impressed. <laughs>
11: Being pushed by that uh, by Lindsey Graham, um, and, and asked about you know Fusion GPS and the company that was behind this dossier that uh, that started this whole mess when he was pushed by that he didn't answer the question. He didn't want to answer the question. So he only answered the questions that he felt comfortable in answering, not the ones that he didn't want to answer. And, you know, there was a lot of evidence mounting now. Um, Senator Grassley uh, has been very concerned about this and others, that the company that actually was hired to do this dossier and and the the people that were behind it, were actually working for the Russians too. And when Comey was pressed on that question, he didn't want to answer it. So that's another big part of this puzzle that, uh, I mean, that's still left unanswered, that's still hanging out there, that that nobody really has focused
1: on. John, last week you said we're going to learn a lot more this week. What do do you anticipate we're going to learn? Obviously, you haven't released it yet, but you're working on a piece that is going to give some details about the names and the people that have been surveilled and amassed.
12: I think uh, some of that came out Friday uh, a little bit ahead of when I thought it would when Rand Paul gave us the letter saying that I believe myself and several members of Congress were also being spied on by the NSA through the Obama administration.
1: Had you been able to corroborate that independently?
12: Uh, I have not. Uh, we been certainly able to corroborate, he made the request and that he has a legitimate concern. Uh, I have not been able to get anyone yet to confirm that he's among those whose names are unmasked or who, uh, whose na- uh, names were searched in the database, but we're continuing to work on that. What we have corroborated uh, in a little, a little bit more generic sense, is that at least once a month under the Obama administration, a member of Congress's name was unmasked in an intercept. And that raises the question, how big a national security threat do we consider Congress to be if we're unmasking these guys once a month? And I think that just, the, just the frequency of the congressional unmasking should be enough to concern a lot of people. We haven't confirmed Rand Paul yet, but we're still working on that. We want to know every member of Congress uh, and their name. Who, who
1: I want to know if I was unmasked. Sure. I mean, because were, you both saw those Reports That's And right. I have no ability to corroborate independently whether or not it's true. But Sarah, what are you hearing on your end about the names? Is it is it Congress or these are these the, the sixteen other presidential just, candidates? What
11: I don't think it's just limited to Congress, Sean. Um, I don't think it's limited to Congress at all. I think that what what John and I really want to find out it goes far beyond Congress. Were there other members unmasked? And John and I had written about this early on in our first stories. Were there journalists? were there doctors uh who else was being unmasked lawyers people with important jobs judges you know these are questions that need to be answered and nobody wants to give it up right they can hide under the classification of it but eventually these answers have to come forward, and I think it's a violation of civil liberties if we don't have an answer to this. You well, I think, isn't it
1: bigger than, than civil lives. liberties, though? Isn't that a violation of our Fourth Amendment rights? And are not we also discussing if intelligence, if the intelligence community is used for political op research and and taking away people's Fourth Amendment rights? We're talking about criminal actions here.
12: Very well could be. Yep. If, if the motive was not national security, if the reason for looking at this was period interest, political interest, personal payback you could very well have well a criminal case well then
1: how would they would have to show some compelling national security that's reason right. to have a 400 percent increase yeah, wouldn't they
12: yeah you would either we have a lot more terrorists in the country or something mm-hmm. else is going on and i think that that's the real <laughs> question we um we, uh, we did something last week, Sean, that I think is going to be very important. We did the only thing we could do as journalists, which is to try to create a legal scenario to get this information re- um, released. And so we, we took an old an executive order that, ironically, Barack Obama uh, issued in 2010 that allows any American to go in and make a declassification request. And so we have asked the Office of um, Director of National Intelligence to declassify how many times a journalist, a member of Congress, a presidential candidate, a a doctor, lawyer, or member of the clergy was unmasked under the Obama years. And we're hoping we're going to get those numbers, that the administration takes it seriously and releases the data.
1: This is really amazing and unbelievable stuff. We'll we'll hang on. We'll continue more with Sarah Carter, John Solomon. Uh, Sarah is back on Hannity tonight, and John is back on Hannity tonight, and Rand Paul will be on Hannity tonight. I think this is the biggest National security, First Amendment, Fourth Amendment issued to come down the pike. This is so much bigger if it turns out a 400% increase in an election year against political opponents. This is so much bigger than anything that Watergate ever was in anybody's imagination. And it's being ignored by the mainstream media um, in, a, in a fairly spectacular way, which doesn't surprise me. All right, as we continue with Sarah Carter and John Solomon from Circa.com, how do we find out the list and the names, and how soon will we be able to get that? And what is the likelihood that any of this could have happened without Susan Rice, Obama, Clapper, Brennan's knowledge?
12: Well, I think uh, the clock is ticking. We filed last week, and so under the executive order that Obama issued, uh, the government has only a year to get this data to us. They have to do it within the next year. So far, we've got a very positive response from the career people we're talking to, and we're very hopeful that Uh, The administration, just like they did last week when they released some new data to us that showed the rapid growth to 35,000 searches, that they'll also maybe get us this data and help the American public understand what's going on. Uh, If that doesn't happen, if we get turned down, then the only levers that are left are, are a lawsuit or Congress using its oversight authority to force this information into the public domain.
1: Yeah. Sarah? Yeah.
11: Well, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. I think that it's, I think this is going to be a battle. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Um, I do think that uh, the ability for John to get those uh, numbers was incredible and that it did open up a door and uh, expose how wide and how egregious, I mean, these unmaskings and this collection was. But I do think that it's going to be a fight to get those names released. And remember, they can hide under the guise of the classified data. I mean, this is they can say it's national security. We can't release these names, but I do think that Congress could battle to get those names released, and um, I think that is an absolute possibility, and that could happen.
1: Yeah, well, I just think that the bottom line is, if what we hear is true, and Europe, and by the way, I believe your reports, and I know you've corroborated them, I also know that you have more knowledge than you're able to go with now, because you know, you, you want to actually do real work and rudimentary background and fact checking that a lot of my friends in the media, when they attack me, they just go with a single source and they, they go for the the headshot and try and slander, smear, besmirch, and, you know, there's obviously uh, a lot of malice in what they do to me, but you're, so you're doing your job. What are the odds that we're going to hear that a lot of politicians, media figures, and others were brought into the surveillance as a course of this election, and what does that mean, and how big a story do you think potentially this gets? Sarah, we'll start with you.
11: I think it's highly likely, Sean, that there will be significant uh, people revealed, let's just put it that way, that have been unmasked or that have been uh, monitored. And I and I don't know, you know, this is this is what I say, you know, monitoring from the left, whether they collected all this information overseas because these folks were talking to foreigners, how these unmaskings occurred, what their national security reason was. But I do believe that it's going to be a quite a significant number and important people, people that everybody in the public will know. Um, So I think that's why this is so sensitive. And I think that's why everyone's having such a difficult time with it. I think the bigger question is here. Why? What was it being used for? Was this just...
1: For- well, I mean, well, why else would they use it? There's no other reason except for political purposes. John, will give you the last word.
12: Yep. There's a document I just want to mention to you. It, it, no one's paid attention to it. It came out of the FISA court. And it says it was a, a filing by a, a, for, a former federal prosecutor who went before the court and said, I don't think what's going on in the NSA is very good. And this is what she wrote. There is no requirement for a search to be a matter of serious matter. To even involve national security, for all it could be, it could be a frivolous reason. That's what concerns me about what's going on with the law. She submitted that to the court.
1: Wow. This is very, very chilling. And it'll be the subject of a very important segment along with John, Sarah, and Rand Paul tonight on Hannity 10 Eastern. Thank you both for being with us.
3: always get what you want,
2: but you can get Sean Hannity online at Hannity.com. Regardless of your political point of view here tonight or watching at home, I think we can all agree that the last eight years, the White House has given us a leader who is passionate, intelligent, and dignified. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. President Obama held his last press conference today. Mm -hmm. He talked about uh, the complexities of peace in the Middle East, uh, universal health care, job creation, pretty boring stuff. And uh, man, I'm going to miss being bored. At the end of that monologue, I had a few choice insults for the president in return. I don't regret that. So for the last time, (laughs) from me, the real Stephen Colbert, I just want to say, thanks, Obama. One reporter ran into Reince Priebus, who told her the president stepped up and helped punt the ball into the end zone. I think a more accurate football metaphor might have been the GOP just kicked America in the... <laughs>
3: I've got to say, go if, after listening to this scandal and listening to the Benghazi scandal, what I came away with is what I thought years ago after Nixon scandals which is the culture always comes from the top if the top guy is corrupt and shady and sketchy then everyone down gets corrupt and, and and he's not he's clean and basically his government is clean and these scandals have proven that the government is basically clean they're not f***ing with people in any way <laughs> in this election i saw a headline today race tagging trump ahead in a mile a this race holding my tongue about the president this past season, because I didn't want to muddy the waters in a country where you only get two choices. But, Mr. President, there are two ways to look at your 51 to 48 percent victory. One is we love you. The other is we like you 3 percent better than Mitt Romney. Oh, is going to be our saving grace, you know, when he's about to... Def- nuke finland or something she's gonna walk into the bedroom and you know yeah daddy daddy don't do it daddy you know i think the second term for obama is more important even than the first obviously it was important to get the first black president elected but if the first black president only has one term america reads that as a failure absolutely this is what the right-wing hopes and prays for more than anything else. That America looks at this one-term president and goes, well, you know what, we tried a black guy, but it just didn't work. Yeah. And I think Obama's aware of that. he That's why I think he is so conservative in the first term. He knows, for the sake of black America, he needs the second term.
1: All right, 23 now before the top of the hour. Our toll-free telephone number is 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program. It's amazing the amount of response... That I have gotten because I say I do not support the fire Stephen Colbert hashtag on Twitter and that I've been speaking out so strongly against boycotts. And by the way, this is not the first time Bill Maher has crossed the line. And this time again, you know, it just seems they are obsessed with attacking Ivanka Trump. By the way, she has a great new book out and I tweeted it out this weekend. And you know what? It's it's called Women Who Work. It's, well, you know, I'll put it up on, uh, I'm allowed to do whatever I want, uh, but you can put it up on my website, put it up for her, because I think it's a great idea and a great book. And, you know, look, I don't know her as well as I know Don Jr. and I know Eric, but I've I've known and been around her and met her and hung out with her. I mean, lovely human being, even long before Donald Trump ever decided to run for president, she, I would see her at Trump Tower the times that I was there, and you know, Donald Trump was always proud of his children. And he'd walk me around and he'd introduce me to Don Jr. and and then Eric and then Ivanka. And and they're they're just nice people and just general in life and polite and respectful and kind and hardworking. I mean, she worked up to, I think, the week before, I think actually two days before she gave birth to one of her children. I remember seeing her at the time and I remember congratulating her. And she said, I'm going to keep working as long as I can. And you know what? You got to give somebody a lot of credit. She's She takes She took cabs for years when she could easily use her father's car service. So I think it just speaks volumes that the kids don't get to use his plane. That's his plane. And they're told, no, you travel commercial. And so there's a lot of respect that I have. But now they've attacked Melania Trump. Okay, English is her fifth language. It's ridiculous. I can't stand the attacks against a 10 year old kid. I can't stand the attacks against the first lady or the first daughter. I guess you can argue that all right, Ivanka's in the political arena a little bit, but this level of attack with all the sexual innuendo, it's creepy, it's bizarre, and it's so over the top and it's so it's something that would never happen with Barack Obama as president. Nor should it happen to Barack Obama. We never went after his except for his wife's comments about for the first time in my adult life and my Proud. Of her? We never went after her. I can't think of an instance where sexual references were made about the daughters that was it's so despicable and disgusting those girls seem like great kids and it's not easy growing up in the white house and they deserve to be left alone as does you know baron trump need to be left alone it's just it's so vicious it's so mean and i'm not even talking about the attacks on Reince or Bannon or miller or kellyanne or anybody that is close to the president you know there's a study out by the Center for Media and Public Affairs at George Mason University study of late night comedians. They've targeted Trump more than any other president, like Obama, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton. Is it a surprise you? No. Know, but I would even take it a step further. It's never been this vicious, this vile, this personal, this disgusting. And no comedian would have gone near this line with with Barack Obama. Shows you just how biased it is. Now, you know, Steve Colbert is now literally rebuilding what was a flailing career and a dying career off of this. And his his 50 comedians just sit around a table all day and writers and all they do is, how can we be more vicious than Bill Maher? Bill Maher, how can we be more vicious? I want to get on the publicity train. And some of you are saying, well, Hannity, why don't you support us? Why don't you support a boycott? Because... You got to understand; it, these tactics, techniques are already being used against conservatives. I believe in freedom of speech, even disgusting speech, even despicable, vile speech. And if you don't like Bill Maher, don't watch his show. If you don't like Colbert, don't watch his show. If you don't like me, I you have to watch my show. And it's just a rule. Anyway, we'll get to your comments on this. By the way, I, I thought of Linda this weekend. There's two articles out on the same topic. Science editor. Ian Sample writes that the headline is strong language and swearing makes you stronger. Psychologists confirm the other headline. A dirty mouth may be a sign of integrity. Study associates swearing with increased honesty. By the way, you say, you know, you're always honest. And we lost treat our show dog on Friday. And did you see what I tweeted out for you? Just for you, Sunshine, I sent I out. Did. It
13: was very sweet.
1: And I I kind of I. I said, I hope Treat makes it. I think he's going to make it deep down in my heart. But
13: really it's a deep girl. down. It's a girl.
1: Whatever. <laughs> it's God. a dog. It's a dog. All right. So Linda swears a lot. We talk a lot about it on the show. I mean, her, her Lent promise was she wasn't going to square. And, you know, she broke that in 30 seconds. And then she gave up. And I don't know what you ended up giving up. But I think there is a certain degree. If you're just letting it rip, you're being honest. Now, you're not honest all the time, Miss. Mr- I tell it like it is. First of all, nobody's a straight shooter like me. Nobody. Nobody. When did I lie? When you said that you thought Treat was going to make it. I and do you, think
7: she's going to make
1: it. <laughs> she might it's make it. It's very
7: depressing. I'm not happy about that well, prediction. Well, Treat's going to
1: make it, and I told you why, because the techniques they're going to use are going to be pretty I hard. Can't,
7: please don't talk about it. I can't he- I cannot okay, hear
1: Okay, I am it. telling you they're going to put a choke did chain just on her. Say
7: don't talk about it?
1: Don't talk about it. I'm talking about it, and... You didn't, without that, I don't think Treat would make it, but because I know they have to use difficult techniques for a dog that doesn't listen. On Friday. That dog does not listen. On Friday.
7: Treat, sit, jump. (laughs) No. You say
1: Treat, sit,
7: treat, jump. She does a command. It might not be the right command, but she does a command.
1: Sunshine in there, Lauren has spent months trying to get this dog not to jump on people. I walk in the room every single time jumps on me dives on me
13: yes because you encourage it no
1: I, I there were plenty of days I didn't encourage anything and she dove right on me Linda you're the truth teller true or false <laughs> I mean that kind of true. It's kind of true. <laughs> I hate to say it's it. It's kind of true. Not kind of true, it's true. There
7: have been several guests that have got, come in here and have gotten the treat welcome <laughs> and yeah, have not
1: Exactly. Made it through the I door. mean. Look, I even offered. Did you tell Sunshine what I I told you to do on Friday?
7: Oh he, yeah, on Friday he says to me, uh, listen, you need to work your magic and get the dog back. And I'm like, "Oh
1: my god." No, I dog said back? I said call them. I'll pay for two dogs and let her have the dog.
7: Right. And I was just like, I can't I can't You do didn't it. tell her? I didn't tell her. She was crying. Well, you crying. told me she
1: was crying. And what is the thing I can't handle in life the crying. most? Crying. Well, what do I do every time somebody cries?
7: You leave the room.
1: I give money. Now, <laughs> I don't know about the money. Vincenza. So I go I have into never work.
7: cried in front of you, so <laughs> well, I don't have true. that
1: experience. So one night I go into Fox, and, and you know, the makeup and hair people are wonderful. and They've been around me 20 Especially years. Especially
7: Vincenza. Okay,
1: so Vincenza's crying. And I'm like, why are you I don't know. So I, I reach into my pocket. I say, all right, here's $100, fun money. you got to stop. And she goes, okay, boss. And she stopped crying. The next night I come in, Fousey, what I call foosball, she's been there for 21 years. She was crying. I'm like, "What? Do you, what is going on here? And I said, all right, here, stop crying. She, they, they're like, oh, and then it defocuses them.
13: So we should all just start crying so you can hand us $100 bills?
1: Well, I tried to buy you the dog, and I said I'd, I'd pay for two dogs for treat.
13: Listen, I, I need to explain something to you. <laughs>
1: I'll give you 100. All you have to do is ask. You don't have to fake it. Just ask.
13: So, on, on Friday, what happened is Canine Companions hold, holds this event where you bring Treat and other dogs that are graduating into their advanced training program. And you have a nice little ceremony. But at the same time, the dogs that have actually passed all the tests are being handed off to the people who
1: What are, are going the percentage of the dogs, the dogs that fail? 60%. Oh, Treat's done. Treat is not going to pass.
13: That's not true because you well, no, 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 said no. they're going to choke her to death. So if your no, choice is choking no. or well, passing, that means, she's going to pass. No, that means they
1: don't use that technique. I said the only way you're going to get her to calm down is choke chainer
13: They treat choke their trainer. dogs. They love those <laughs> dogs so much, and they are treated with so much respect and love that, I mean, I don't right, know no, the, no. exactly the tactics. All right, so listen, now if hands. a dog
1: fails, do we get the first option to buy it back?
13: Yeah. You don't even have to buy her.
1: Really? Okay, so Treat will be, how long will it take for her to get back here? We ought to have a pool on Hannity.com because Treat's coming home.
13: We will get treat monthly is on, reports. Oh, treat
1: is just on a vacation. Treat's not going to last more than a couple of days. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't called yet. There's no way the dog passes. If it's a 60% right failure. now rate, we're trying to get through on the 800 number. Mr. Hannity, please. Yeah. <laughs> and, by, and so I'm guessing that the docile dog before Treat, what was that dog's name? Moats. Mr. Moats. All right, Mr. Moats. Mr. Moats passed, I bet, right?
13: He became a breeder because they loved his temperament so the, much.
1: Oh, because Moats, if you said up Moats, Moats would look at you. Please don't make me get up. A puppy. I've never seen a puppy that had zero energy. I mean, so, I mean, I like the dog, but I will be honest, Treat is so much more fun.
13: You treat remember? Is- you remember the dog, Vinny? I sent you a picture of him on Friday. They all, they all. So he's actually Moats' son.
1: Really? Well, would you, Here's what I'm willing to do for you to make you happy because you were crying on Friday. I am willing to get a Moat's son or daughter, and I am willing to make Treat the show dog, and I'll take care of all the vet bills, all the food, all whatever Treat needs. But with one condition. If Treat comes back, Treat's allowed to be Treat. I mean, if Treat wants to jump, I don't need you screaming at me for make, because the dog jumps. Because you screamed at me a lot of times.
13: because you were encouraging it every step of the way.
1: Well, I did it as a favor for you because I knew you were in love with the dog. So if the dog (laughs) fails, you get to keep the dog. Don't don't you love that dog? Jason is not the biggest dog guy. You love treat. Jason. What was not to love about her? The dog. (laughs) Yes, the dog, her. Treat the dog, yes, her. 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 What's the difference? Why do you guys get so technical on There's me There's a pretty big difference, Sean. I don't know None. if had you that that have dogs talk yet. Or you I'm, get the sex of your dogs actually, mixed up. I am actually I have two girls. I am very excited. I'm just I think we need to have a pool. When do they put treat through the whole program regardless of its ability to pass?
13: No, I think once they start realizing whether or not they are <laughs> capable, they let them go.
1: Oh, he'll treats back by the she will be back by the end of the week. That's exciting. That's good. We're going to get Treat back.
13: I don't know. I think a lot of people liked her. A lot of the trainers see some potential in her.
1: Okay, treat. If they don't, if sixty percent don't pass, there's no way that dog is passing. There's no. The dog is too alive and free and fun, and she's been hanging out with us. And you know, when you're not looking, we just we have more fun and feed her and do everything that you didn't want us to do. We trained her well. We trained her so she can't pass. And we trained her to come back. (laughs) We trained her to come back home. You know, she's now look. She's probably saying sniffing. Oh, it's the Sean Hannity Show time. Well, I'm missing it. Now, I did love towards the end that Treat would stay in my studio, quiet, in her little bed, which is still here. Matter of fact, take a picture and tweet out the bed.
7: You want me to tweet out the empty, sad bed? The empty bed, bed
1: and okay. say, Treat, come home. We miss you. I want Treat to come home. alright hundred nine four one. right, is our toll-free telephone number.
5: Fighting the Trump-hating liberal media one day at a time. This is the Sean
3: Hannity Show.
14: mix, and crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, ultra-thick multi-surface cleaner, no more sponges or other cleaning products needed, and Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Hey,
1: Sean Hannity here, and there's so much happening around our country, crimes happening in your own backyard. Listen to the story of Bob Brayton. Now, Bob was at home when an intruder physically forced his way inside. Now, luckily, Bob was able to grab his burner, and he used it to backpedal the man right outside and off of his property. Now, it's legal in all 50 states, no background checks required. They ship it right to your door. Go to burner, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Hannity, and if you do that now, you get an exclusive 10% discount.
14: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere